Today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. And in one of those patients' homes, they found toxic black mold during a remodel, and they had estimated it was about 12-year exposure. It was in his basement. He slept on the second floor, but still, air exchange happens, which I know you're going to be talking with some building experts, which is great. It explained all of the things. It explained all his problems, like anxiety through the roof, but when he would take anxiety medication, it would get worse. So counterintuitive reactions to medications, pelvic pain, urinary frequency, his gut was a mess, ear ringing, chronic sinusitis, you name it. It was just all of the classic picture or confluence of symptoms that we would see with mold-related illness. And I didn't know all that. Even though we're trained in environmental medicine in school, I kind of knew mold as like, it's really bad for the immune system and allergies, and it might affect your nervous system and cause like an MS looking thing. That's pretty much it. So when I had this patient and we had this discovery, I hit the books and there's a ton of animal research out there. And I started to make all of these connections with the other patients that weren't progressing, went and did some investigation with the amazing mold inspectors in my area. And we found mold in almost all of the cases and either a current or a past profound exposure. And that's when I thought, oh my goodness, every practitioner in the world is seeing mold patients, but they don't know it. Hello, hello, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones, and get ready to be blown away as I talk with my good friend, Dr. Jill Krista, all about mold and mycotoxins and how it could be secretly the reason behind your fatigue, brain fog, hormone issues, autoimmune, and more. But before we get started, I want to talk to you about an easy health habit that I use every single day, and that's AG1 by Athletic Greens. With one delicious scoop of AG1, I get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help support my gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, you know, all the things. It also comes in super convenient travel packs, which is really nice for me because I am often on the go. I love that you can use it if you eat keto or paleo or if you're vegan, dairy-free or gluten-free, and it comes with less than a gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and to me, it tastes pretty good. I call it a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing I do every single day to take great care of myself, and you can too. So. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need to take a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. In fact, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash root cause. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash root cause to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This podcast is by Rupa Health, the best and easiest place for practitioners to order, track, and manage all your labs in one convenient location. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Jill Krista, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited for this conversation. You and me both, because we get so many questions about mold and mycotoxins, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on than the expert herself, 
all about it. <laughs> and I get to be on the podcast of the lady I fangirl all the time. So this is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I was just telling my husband that story because we met, met in person, live in person in Palm Springs in 2020. <laughs> just before right, it yeah. shut down. Just before it all came crashing down. Exactly. And we've rented a house. We're actually, it's, I live in the Northwest and it's still raining in July. We're done with this. So We've decided to find some sun and we've rented a house in Palm Springs. And I was like, that's where I met Jill Kristen in person. Aww. Not that you live there, but it was just funny that I'm like, oh, that's my memory of Palm Springs. Full circle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Well, for the people who don't know who you are and don't fangirl over you, give us a little intro, who you are, what you do, what you stand for, and we'll jump into the mold questions. Great. So I'm a naturopathic doctor. And my whole passion is to elevate the wellness of our planet by elevating the wellness of the beings living on it. So that's how we get to root cause medicine is that so much of this is environmental. Mold doesn't just affect the people and our pets and our plants, but it affects the planet. So when we're building these homes that are mold farms, that's actually affecting the biome of our planet. So that's where I, I started in kind of lime country. I didn't know I was in lime country in Wisconsin. And because when you apply the principles of naturopathic medicine, people tend to get better. We have very hardworking patients. They come expecting homework. They come ready to work and make changes. And I had this group of people that just weren't getting better. They weren't having the responses I was anticipating that I was seeing with my other patients. Then I learned about Lyme. I went and got Lyme certified with ILADS. And lo and behold, when you find and treat the cause, people tended to get better. So all of a sudden I'm like, oh, no, I know it's Lyme and co-infections and we can manage this. I still had this group of people that weren't getting better. And in one of those patients' homes, they found toxic black mold during a remodel. And they had estimated it was about 12-year exposure. It was in his basement. He lived on the second, or, you know, slept on the second floor, but still air exchange happens, which I know you're going to be talking with some building experts, which is great. So he had, it explained all of the things. It explained all his problems, like anxiety through the roof. But when he would take anxiety medication, it would get worse. So counterintuitive reactions to medications pelvic pain, urinary frequency, his gut was a mess, ear ringing, chronic sinusitis, you name it. It was just all of the classic picture or confluence of symptoms that we would see with mold-related illness. And I didn't know all that. Even though we're trained in environmental medicine in school, I kind of knew mold as like, it's really bad for the immune system and allergies, and it might affect your nervous system and cause like an MS looking thing. That's pretty much it. So when I had this patient and we had this discovery, I hit the books and there's a ton of animal research out there. And I started to make all of these connections with the other patients that weren't progressing, went and did some investigation with the amazing mold inspectors in my area. And we found mold in almost all of the cases and either a current or a past profound exposure. And that's when I thought, oh my goodness, every practitioner in the world is seeing mold patients, but they don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key right there, but they don't know it. And you know, anyone listening to this right now, in this, we're going to dive more into symptoms in just a little bit, but you know, there are people listening going, oh, check, check. Yeah. Check. I, <laughs> right. check. I got, that's me. You are literally talking to me right now and nobody can figure out what's wrong with me. Yes. So actually, let's start with the basics. Like, what is, when we say mold, like, what is mold and mycotoxin? We, I mean, we all know what mold is. We've had moldy food, we've seen mold on logs, things like that. But when we're talking, mold and mycotoxin in a house or that's subsequently then in the body or on food. Mm -hmm. What is it? <laughs> yeah. So mold will make you sick with a host of different things. And when it's in nature, it has 
other natural forces to keep it in check and not behaving badly like it does in an indoor environment. So we have sun, wind, air movement, other fungi. So the mushroom family, there are all of these forces that kind of help it stay in its symbiotic spot, doing what it's supposed to do, which is digesting and composting previously living organic material. That's what we want it for. So we bring it into a home made of previously living organic material. We close up the home. We So it's airtight. There's no air movement. We don't have sunshine in there. And then we have a lot of humidity and all it takes is humidity. It doesn't have to be a flood environment. And that's where it's getting missed a lot is that people will not understand that you can live in Florida and have absolutely no leaks. But if you're not managing your humidity, you can grow mold. Hawaii is a terribly moldy place, all the indoor environment. So that's basically when mold comes into an indoor environment and it, it has those non-controlled, non-natural conditions. Then it starts acting kind of greedily, we might say. <laughs> naughty. <laughs> <laughs> naughty. Yeah. Naughty, naughty mold. So we have spores and then those spores, when they die, can break off into fragments. So one spore can make up to 500 fragments, which is incredible. One spore. So one inch of mold that you can see, a single layer of mold you can see is a million spores. So that million spores can make 500 million fragments, one inch of visible mold. That mold then can make balloons full of chemicals like VOCs, like aldehydes, alcohols. You can actually breathe moldy air and get drunk. If you've heard of auto brewery syndrome, when people have candida in their gut, you can also get that from a moldy building. So that's kind of explains a lot of the symptoms that have to do with like brain fog and their eyes don't work, that kind of thing. It's like, cause you're buzzed, you're breathing moldy air and you're buzzed. So those are the chemicals of happily living mold. There's also a chemical called MPA or mycophenolic acid. This has been commodified into medicine. We use it for, as an organ rejection drug. So we, it's so effective at suppressing the immune system that we actually use it in medicine to make sure that a person doesn't reject their new organ. You could be breathing moldy air and be getting that drug in your system as you breathe. So we have spores, spore fragments, chemicals, and that's all the normal stuff. But then when you bring mold into the indoor environment without the natural forces, keeping it in check, it will start making mycotoxins to defend out other microbes, specifically other molds. So aspergillus will fight with penicillium, will fight with stachybotrys, will fight with wolemia. And so they all kind of, what if you find that sweet spot of a humid, stagnant, no sun, no natural forces area, it will start making this mycotoxin and the intention of the mycotoxin is to kill and harm another biological living being. Think about that now. So you could be breathing spores, which are going to cause allergy symptoms, agitating mast cells. You could be breathing fragments, which get lower into the lungs and cause hypersensitive lungs. You could be breathing chemicals, which you can get toxicity, drunkenness, <laughs> and immune suppression. And then you could be breathing mycotoxins, which in my patient population accounts for 75 to 80% of the symptoms. Those mycotoxins are incredibly harmful. They can affect every system in the body and they can cause almost any symptom. That's why we're missing mold because how you're going to express your mold is different than how I express my mold. Even people in the same family with the same genetics. I have identical twins, which I've done a lot of testing and sampling on. <laughs> yeah, I think I told you they kind of joke that I'm mom Hitler because I'm like experimenting on twins. But I'm like, okay, you take glutathione and then you don't. And then we'll run your mycotoxin test and we'll see. And we'll see what your symptoms do. So even my identical twins express their mold a little bit differently in their symptoms. So it's really hard to catch it. And we hear this too. We have, I'll have families 
or partners or even roommates that will say, how come I'm so affected and they're not? Or how come they're so affected and I'm not? Or why are my symptoms ABC, but their symptoms are XYZ and we live in the same location, whether it's house, apartment, condo, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's just the nature of the game with your expression when mold hits you. Yep. So it can, it has to do with, you know, how did you come into that environment? So what is your nutritional status? What's your genetics? Your previous mold exposure can pre-sensitize you to future mold exposures. There's a lot of different things that can make the difference. Even what kind of mold and mycotoxin you're exposed to. So if the master bath is where the problem is and you're sleeping in that room, the more toxic ones might be in that room or bedroom and in that area. But then the other ones that aren't as strong to fight back, like aspergillus and penicillium, they may be floating around in the air because they're not so sticky. And so other people might be having reactions to that different type of mold. But it's all the soup of a water damage building. Plus there's bacteria. There are endotoxins and actinomycetes. So there's all kinds of fun <laughs> critters in a water damage building. <laughs> and I keep saying water damage, but it could be damp building as well. And is all, sounds like the answer is yes, but like is all mold bad? If somebody says, I found mold in my bathroom or even like there's mold growing on my deck or I found mold here or there is all mold immediately burned down the house. Not immediately I don't mean that burned down the house. <laughs> I don't mean that literally, but Although you know. in some cases. Are... <laughs> so is all mold bad? That's such a tricky question because there is an amount of mold that we live with that we're perfectly fine with. So every house is going to have a little teeny bit, just a dish of mold and that's okay because every time you open your door, there are spores floating around outside some is going to make it into that environment. So it's not just the presence of, if there's any mold, I can't live here, that kind of thing. But there is an amount over which people don't feel good and over which there is enough humidity and enough fuel source for them that they're going to start competing. And that's where we get into trouble. And people, I love all the things I hear. It's like, oh no, that was just mildew. Uh, well, how do you know? How do you know if you didn't test it? Or this, it wasn't the black mold, so we're okay. Well, guess what? Ketomium, one of the most toxic molds, can be a white or pinkish color. So if you pull up carpet and you're checking for black mold and you go, no, okay, fine. And then you put the carpet back down, you could have completely missed it just by visual. Trained inspectors can pick up some of that stuff, but we don't know until we test. We don't know. And that goes so everything in our body. Everything, yep. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh my God. And I like what you said earlier too, of people who've been exposed before and maybe come into a new environment. Like say, let's say a hotel room. This is classic, especially for us, right? We go to all sorts of conferences. We're a very aware group generally. And so the number of times I've been checking into a hotel and I've seen a fellow colleague come storming up to the front going, I can't stay in my room. I can't, I, my quote mold symptom, like my mold symptoms have flared back up. I it's, I know my room is moldy. What can we do? I've seen that happen multi, and you, multiple times. You don't have to be a practitioner. You may be listening to this going, oh yeah, I just had that in an Airbnb I rented or you know the hotel room or when I go to my in-laws house, like I definitely get symptoms and could put my finger on it. Or maybe the reverse happens. You go to an Airbnb or a hotel or your in-laws house and all your symptoms get better. <laughs> Right? right? Yes. Like if they cut down 50% or more and you're like, wait a minute, there goes my cough. My brain fog is better. I feel a lot more alive. My headaches are gone. Like not even real. And you're thinking, oh, it's because I'm relaxing. I'm at this Airbnb. I'm That's in this right. hotel. But actually it could be exposure, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to go back to symptoms. You mentioned a lot of symptoms in the beginning and kind of throughout, but I just really want to hone in because I know people are thinking to themselves, any symptom? I like anything. I, I've, <laughs> so what are some 
keynotes that make you immediately pause and go, we should test your house for mold and test you for mold. Mm -hmm. Fatigue is a big one. Fatigue is a, so when we look at chronic fatigue syndrome patients, an enormous amount of them up in the 98, 99% of people have had water damage building exposure. So fatigue is going to be one of the key, and that can be brain fog too, because your brain runs out of fuel. You just like, you get to the end of the sentence and you're like, what was that word? And it's literally because your brain just like brain fatigue. So we see brain fog, cognition, maybe some sleep problems, often sleep problems, especially if you're sleeping in the moldy environment. But some of the sleep problems can be because the body knows as it breathes, it's getting toxic. So it will start to under breathe to protect you. And when you get going breathing at night, the body says, no, 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 wake up, wake up. We can't breathe that deep. It's not safe to breathe. So that can be somebody who had their exposure 20 years prior and they are now colonized. The moldy building has moved into them. They are the moldy building. The body will learn over time how to underbreathe, and you get a lot of insomnia from that. So it's not necessarily onset insomnia, it's maintenance insomnia. So you're waking up frequently throughout the night. And then we can like work from the top down, <laughs> sinusitis, post-nasal drip. It doesn't have to be sinusitis. If you're just being exposed to the mycotoxins, you may have absolutely no sinus symptoms, no allergy symptoms, and still have mold-related illness. And that's one of the things a lot of people think, but I don't have allergies. How can it be a mold problem? Mold allergies is only one part. As we talked about spore and spore fragment, there's all this other stuff that can happen. Ear ringing is very common. If we look at the medications that cause ear ringing, they're antibiotics. What are antibiotics? Mycotoxins. So penicillin is a mycotoxin from penicillium mold. So if we start to think about that, it's like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense that now that's a symptom with mold. And I would say that's one of the toughest ones to go away. That's one of the last hangers on of the symptoms. So if you're in you're already in the mold world and you're like, yeah, my earring isn't getting any better, just hang in there. If, if other things are getting better, that one will too. So we can see swallowing issues, esophagitis, reflux, because you get a little bit of like neurological hiccup in the digestion. We can get SIBO from motility issues, skin rashes galore. So if you, whatever your tendency is, if the tendency is to have more aging and wrinkling, that's going to accentuate. And if the tendency is to have more inflammation, you might see your acne turn into acne rosacea or acne into all of a sudden psoriasis. So a new diagnosis of psoriasis for me is a, we better rule out mold first. Yep. So gut disruption is very common. A lot of micro dysbiosis, that kind of thing. SIBO, like I mentioned, urinary frequency is quite common. And that has to do with the fact that we, we excrete these mycotoxins through our urinary system and also through our liver, but primarily through our urinary system. So as those mycotoxins are hanging out in the bladder, they're very irritating to the bladder lining and they can actually cause little ulcerations looking like an interstitial cystitis, but is actually from, and is interstitial cystitis with the cause, root cause being the mycotoxins in the bladder. Yeah. And that's interstitial cystitis is, I was going to ask about that because it's more common than we think. <laughs> and it's can be so debilitating and you wouldn't think so because right? you're like the bladder, can't you just fix it? Can't you just give me antibiotics? And turns out. Nope. 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 And antibiotics often are the trigger. If somebody is kind of low grade mold sick and then they get an antibiotic for something else, like ear infection or something like that, then it can trigger the interstitial cystitis. And when that happens, I'm like, that's because you just took a mycotoxin and the body is now saying, holy cow, I can't handle any more. And we get 
bladder irritation to the nth degree. When I hear that of like interstitial cystitis after antibiotic, I'm like, well, okay, we got to rule out mold. <laughs> That's another one. So I should say, I'm going to go back to the top. I'm trying to like go top down, but I should say anxiousness as well, that there is not one mold sick person I've worked with that hasn't had some level of anxiousness. And I'm careful not to say anxiety because people think of that as something where it's so bad. I have to go get help for this. This is anxiousness, an inner sense of unrest, like something's not right. I'm not safe. And so there's feeling on the inside that there's something's not right because it's a hidden tiger. You know, it's like, there is a problem. You're breathing in a toxin, but your eyes don't see it. Your ears don't hear it. You don't taste it. Mycotoxins have no odor, smell, taste, anything like that. We all know we've smelled mold. That's the other chemicals that I was talking about. But mycotoxins, which can seep right through the building material, have no scent at all. So unless mold is exposed to the air, you're not going to get any kind of nose clue that it's a problem. Yeah. And I like that you said, because we can't see it, hear it, usually smell it, taste it, any of the things, but yet it's an internal threat. And so the body's on high alert. The tiger is in the room. It's in the body. (laughs) In the body. But when you, when all your five senses look around and go, but where's the threat? I don't see the threat. That I bet that puts you off, man. I bet that just sets the whole body on unease. Yeah. And then if you're the first, if you're the canary in your family or your roommate situation or your office, you're having this happen and everybody else is like, what's that person's deal? Like, I think there's mold in here. And I always love when they do then think it's mold. And they're like, I think there's mold in here. Everybody just discounts it. They're like, no, we, we don't smell anything and we'd all be sick. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another one is static shocks. Because one of the things oh. that mold... <laughs> yes. Yes. Mold will affect our production of ADH, an antidiuretic hormone from the pituitary. And it also, the kidneys get deaf to this hormone because the kidneys are like, you may need more water, but I'm seeing that we're detoxing something here. So it just starts to get resistance. There's an ADH resistance at the kidney level. And so they will be dehydrated, chronically dehydrated. So they're going to more be apt to shock things because their electrolytes are off. And you know, people listening to this are like, they're immediately, they're either like, oh my God, that's me. Or they're like, that's my partner. That's my youngest. Or like, they're always shocking me. Yeah. Yep. But like, and it's painful shocks for some multi people, like holding on, grabbing a doorknob. And it's, you can hear it from across the room in some cases. And I'm sometimes when I'm at a restaurant, I'll be like, that person has mold. <laughs> <laughs> like, do I tell them? I should laugh, but like, yeah, it's like Dr. Krista, the medium. <laughs> Excuse me. I can help but notice. <laughs> yeah. I think I got through like the keynotes, food sensitivities, another one, and then chemical sensitivities. So if you have a new thing you can't eat, or you're starting to lose foods left and right. I used to be able to eat that, but it, and you don't even, a lot of people don't even notice they're avoiding the food because it makes them sick. And then histamine and mast cell related issues. That's another mast cell mold and fungus is a wonderful inducer of mast cells. So if somebody has mast cell activation or some kind of atopic or allergic thing, and then I, one of my easy rule outs is to check for mold. So when you're, let's do the million dollar question. When you check for mold, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, I start with my questionnaire because I was, I started in the Lyme world and Dr. Horowitz has his MSIDS Lyme questionnaire, which is a wonderful questionnaire. It's scientifically validated against lab testing. So if you have a low income patient or something like that, you can use this questionnaire to reliably give you a picture of whether it might be Lyme or not. 
And so I talked to him and I said, what if we could do that for mold? And he kind of joked and he's like, good luck. Cause it's going to be the same. And I thought, okay, that's a challenge. So I took his model and used that as inspiration for creating a clinical questionnaire that I use. So if anybody's interested, it's on my website at drkrista.com. And this it's also in my book. So this we're working to scientifically validate this the same way. So how do you tell for me, I start with the questionnaire because I've used it for so long and fine-tuned it, gotten the numbers so that we can pretty reliably tell if it's not mold, if it's possible mold, or if it's probable mold. And if it's possible mold and you also fill out Dr. Horowitz's questionnaire, it could be mold Lyme together. And it often is because mold will suppress the immune system to let things like the persister stealth infections like Lyme reactivate. So I start with the questionnaire. It also is a wonderful tool because people forget how sick they were as they go along. And it's nice to have that baseline of like, here's where you are or where you were when you started. Because the treatment for mold, while it's not real difficult, it can take kind of some time. These mycotoxins are fat soluble, which means we have to get into all the fatty tissues in the body. And that is just to do an oil change on the body like that takes time. So a lot of times people get a little squirrely. Do I have to still take this? Do I need to do that? Then I say, well, or they'll come in and say, "Ah, I don't want to keep doing this. I'm not getting any better. And then we look at their original questionnaire and they're like, oh, I had migraines. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I'm like, yes, you used to lose seven to 10 days of work to your migraines and now you don't have them. So then if questionnaire, if we need to follow up with any kind of like body testing, I've probably done the most split sample testing on anybody. And because I have twins and I have a very good friend with identical twins. So we were able to do some twin studies and then family, whole families that were exposed to mold. It's, there are lots of different ways to test and each has their strength and their challenge. So there's urine mycotoxin testing. There's two different methods for that. And then there's mycotoxin antibody testing for the blood. And that's different than blood testing for mold. So something you'd run through Quest or LabCorp and Cyrex has some as well. Just looking at, is this a mold spore reaction? And that tells you then you're needing to deal with more allergic type symptoms and things that'll stabilize mast cells. But mycotoxin antibody testing, which means we're looking at the antibodies to the actual mycotoxins. That right now is the only one that can tell us, is this a current exposure right now? Because they have an IgE and an IgG. And they have a host of different mycotoxins that they're testing for. All of them are adding all the time because we keep saying more and more, you know, (laughs) what about xarelinone? What about these other ones? So that test, the serum antibody is one that I'll use when we need to answer that question, but it does rely on antibodies. So if somebody has a low antibody count, which mold can cause, that's not a good test for them. So I run, I pre-run their total IgG and total IgE. If it looks okay and they're in the normal range, and we're trying to answer the question, is this a current exposure situation? Then I'll run that lab. So for the urine, there is ELISA testing and there is mass spect testing. And there's two companies that do mass spec. So ELISA is through real-time labs. And then the mass spec is through Great Plains and through Vibrant Wellness. So each of those, even though they're testing urine mycotoxins, they're testing it in a different way. So the mass spec is a direct test, meaning they have a camera and they're looking at the urine and they actually see the mycotoxin and some degree of the metabolites, meaning as our body detoxifies, we make different forms of the mycotoxin to try to get it out of the body. So that one, the challenge with that one is 
a lot of the mycotoxins look alike in structure. There's a really wide diversity between like a estrogenic type of mycotoxin to a liver toxic or kidney toxic mycotoxin. So, but there are some that look a lot alike and they'll peak at the same time. So you want to make sure that you're working with a company that's being very strict, high quality control of their prep, because that will make all the difference in whether they're actually seeing the two peaks of two different mycotoxins. So that kind of helps you understand like, what am I seeing? And often what, what happens is that as you start to get better, your body dumps and releases more mycotoxins, which freaks people out. You know, Always. they're going <laughs> to get the first mycotoxin test, get going on treatment. And then all of a sudden see this big spike in MPA, which is really common. That's one of the easiest ones to get out. So it's one of the first that peaks and then big peaks of other things and maybe new mycotoxins that they'd never seen before. That's completely normal. So I want everyone to just know that, like, don't freak out. If you have seen that in your first three to four months of doing your protocol with your doctor, totally normal. So that one, the challenge of that also is, are they getting all the metabolites? And so the ELISA urine people would say theirs is superior because they're, it's not reliant on metabolites or looking at it directly. They're using antibodies to ask if the body has chosen, is basically reacting to the antigen. So it's similar to the serum antibody testing in a way. The challenge with that is they don't control for creatinine. So if you have somebody who's kidney affected, you might see peaks and valleys, and that may not actually be reflecting the improvement or the worsening of that patient. So it's all those little things of like, which picking what you're trying, oh, and what question are you trying to answer with the testing? If it is, what is my patient's total body burden? Then you might need to be doing some sort of provocation. But the challenge with that is we don't know what's the peak and what's the trough. So right now, this is like just in news <laughs> for the past year or so I've been testing. We do a sauna and then we collect the next four to six hours of urine all at once. And we take an aliquot of that and send it in. Not all mycotoxins use glutathione. So doing that doesn't make any sense because we're going to miss some of them. And again, if you take glutathione, like I know there's protocols of like provoke for a week and then do the test. Problem with that is you may have missed the big peak. So if you're trying to understand total body burden, you may not be answering that question. So if you're just trying to understand like, what is the person, and let's say they have low immunoglobulin, so they can't do the serum one. And you're trying to understand, are they being exposed right now? All of the urine tests can help to answer that question. If you do no provocation, as long as you've pre-tested glutathione and you're sure that the cells, because the glutathione is really helping the mitochondria and the extracellular matrix can push those mycotoxins to the detox. So that can answer that question of like, if they are currently being exposed, they should be dumping some amount. Some people are too toxic to even do that. So, and the other limitation of urine, which is not a limitation of the serum is that your diet will affect your labs. So I have my patients do 72-hour mycotoxin washout. There is a 48-hour washout for most mycotoxins. So I have them do a three-day diet. And that also is on my website. If anybody wants that prep diet, that reduces that massive limitation that the insurance companies like to say is not a valid test. They say, oh, they were just eating it. And then we can say, no, we took care of that. So this is actually in their environment. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that's the testing thing. <laughs> okay. So many questions and clarifiers. So first I want to go to the serum test. So for when you talk about the, first you check them for IgE and IgG, just for people who don't know what that means, she's just screening to make sure the body can mount a response in the first place. Because if you can't mount a response, let's use a military analogy. If you don't have the soldiers in the first place to mount the response, then when you go to actually test the mycotoxin antibody, the mold antibody, there'll be no soldiers there 
So it'll be a, a worthless test because if right. it comes back negative, you don't actually know because there were no soldiers there in the first place. So she checks to see how many, what's called IgE, IgG you have in general, your total. And then if that's good, then she'll run the antibody. So for, that's the first question. The second question, when you, will you explain what provocation means for people who don't know? Oh, yes. Okay. So when we are, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, in my silo. Here. Right. Well, yeah. like it's two people who understand the same language, but right in our uh-huh. bubble. <laughs> yeah. So provocation means we provoke the body to excrete. And there's lots of different ways to do that. With mycotoxins, because they're fat soluble or lipid soluble, that means that they can go anywhere in the body that has lipid rich tissue. So our skin, our gut lining, our brain, our nervous system, the linings of all of our cells. So doing a lymphatic massage is a wonderful way. I talk about it as a treatment in my book, but it also can be something, the reason it's a treatment is that we're provoking the body to have to clear those toxins that are being stored at that level. Yeah. The lymphatic, the skin, that kind of thing. So lymphatic massage can do it. Sauna can do it. With the sauna, we're not, we don't have any studies that we're actually sweating out mycotoxins. There's only one study that I found that showed that we can do that with BPA, which is a similar fat soluble toxin. It's like, well, we probably lose some in the sweat, but the point of Asana is that it does a radiator effect. So it pulls blood out to the surface and then you go take a cold shower and it pushes all that blood that just went out and caught all of the toxin into our organs of detoxification. And then we detoxify. So that's what we're using sauna because now we've gone out and collected everything. And then we pushed it back into the liver and the kidneys. And now we can collect that urine and we can see maybe what's going on in the body. There's also out there, a lot of people doing provoking with glutathione. They have certain regimens. And then some people are using, one thing I should say is on the prep sheet, I have everybody go off binders of any kind because we're trying to find them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. Binders are grabbing them. So again, that could make a test look healthier than it actually is. And then the person feels like, well, I guess maybe it's not mold. I guess I need to go find what it is when really it is mold and we missed it on the lab. They've been on charcoal every day or fiber or something that's binding, literally binding up some of the mold. With glutathione, let me go back. With your sauna, which you've been doing for about the last year. So you, they do, a, it's one sauna and then they collect urine mm-hmm. four to six hours after. So they do, yep. One sauna treatment and everybody's a little different. So if they're super, super, super sensitive people, we're not going up to the 140 degrees. It's like 125 for 15 minutes. And then let's just be gentle to people. Yeah. Cause do they need to provoke or not? My little rule of thumb is that if they're the kind of classic person who cannot go into target because it's so stinky and they get a headache and they, they forget where they were there and it takes them like two hours to get out of the building. They can't follow a car too closely because of the exhaust. They can't fill their own gas tank because of the exhaust, can no longer burn candles, can no longer use anything with any kind of fragrance or they get a headache or they get brain fog. The classic canary, like they've become sensitive to all the chemicals. That person probably needs to be provoked a little bit with something that's going to be a little bit gentle, but so we can find it. Because what all those symptoms are telling us is that they're not processing out the toxins of everyday life, which is a lot more toxins than our grandparents had to deal with. Oh my gosh. No Toxins of everyday life is (laughs) but 80,000 more chemicals than were used a hundred years ago. It's insanity. Yeah. 1% has been tested. Which is scary, (laughs) which goes back to insanity. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then if you do sauna or some sort of provocation, if you choose that route, do, or I don't know if you're allowed to say, maybe you can't, of which urine test route you like, or do you volley back and forth depending on the patient? Depending on the patient. 
Yeah. Because it's so variable. If they've had ochratoxin and we know that they've had ochratoxin for a long time, they using the ELISA is probably not going to be the best test for them because they're not controlling for creatinine and you get giant sweeps of creatinine dumping it at any time when there's kidney disease. So kidney disease, I don't tend to use that lab. So that's why it's just so individual. Right now, the split sample testing that I've been doing, the vibrant urine is matching the building, what we know of the building exposure better than the others at this time. But again, things can change. It depends on if with supply chain issues, can they get the prep that they need? You know, those kinds of things. But that's what I'm using when I need to use urine. And I'm not dealing with something where I don't think that we're getting enough metabolite processing in the liver. So if they do have liver disease, I'm going to use the serum antibody testing. And speaking of liver, I just read on the NIH's website, so the National Institute for Health, or the NIH is the government, they have a quote up that says 24% of adult Americans have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is NAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And I thought, we're already at 24%. When did that happen? Like, wow. Yeah. So speaking of liver disease, that statistic blew my mind, and it's probably higher in adult Americans than what they're quoting, but that's a fourth of Americans with liver disease already. So that's good to know. And then kidney disease. So for those with, which is understandable, no medical background, I used to work for a urine test company that did mass spec, which is the sensitive one. And we, they did correct for creatinine for those. So for those with no medical background, we excrete, we, our bodies excrete creatinine at various levels, and it depends on your sex and your age and all this stuff. And so what these urine companies when you correct for creatinine, it's a, what's considered a more accurate, what's actually going on. So for example, as my former boss said to me, if you had a six foot one WNBA player urinating, and then you had a five foot one gymnast urinating, like they're going to very different kidney, they have different body masses, which means their kidneys and creatinine are going to react differently. So you have to correct for creatinine so that they get on a level playing field, so to speak, mm-hmm. because otherwise they obviously they'd be very supposed to. There's they are different, but you can correct for it, and so that's really good to know. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Yes, that's the kind of frustrating for me that the real time doesn't, and I've been outspoken about that because I'm like, how hard would that be? And the other labs they weren't reporting it; they were doing it, but they weren't reporting what the creatinine was. I'm like, listen, we as doctors, that's really informative because we can, especially with something that is so kidney toxic as mycotoxins, that is very informative to us. If we are pushing detox too hard, if we're seeing that all of a sudden that creatinine level is just like crashing or spiking, then we, that's very informative to us on how we're doing on our treatment because we can go, we can push too hard. Okay. So before we get the treatment though, I want you to talk about that's testing the body. How do we test the home? Uh How do we test our water damaged buildings and exposures? With the experts. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If anybody is having their doctor try to navigate this from their office or from their telemedicine, they've never seen your home. They've never seen your apartment. They've never seen your workspace. And if they have not spent their life's work, like inspectors do on testing a building, That's a red flag for me. I think doctors, we need to know our lane. Our lane is bodies. I know enough about the building stuff because I was so interested in this. And at the time I had my patient who had the remodel, he was like, I want to find all the mold. He's like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Find all the mold, whatever it takes. And we'll get rid of whatever we need to and test everything. Cause he was then once identifying it, he was just like, I want to make sure that I'm in a safe space. So it was like, 
budget, no issue. I want my body back. And so I got to go with the inspector and test all the stuff and try to remediate couches and antique furniture and books. And I got to watch the whole thing. And so that kind of cured my little, or, you know, sparked this little thing where I'm like, Ooh, I want to, I want to know more about this. Cause I think, I think this is really important to know. So even after all of that mentorship and training that I've done and hanging out in the buildings and talking to remediators and seeing remediation in, in progress for multiple patient homes, I don't know enough to make sure that you are safe. And I do consultation with doctors all over the place. And I cannot tell you how many times a doctor tried to navigate this and they could have found mold, but they missed it. And now they have a leukemia patient. They have a, now they have a dementia patient. Now they have an MS. Now they have a cancer. So use the experts as we're both very lighthearted people and we're both try to keep things light, but mold is serious. Mold and mycotoxin illness is carcinogenic, causes birth defects, causes dementia, causes autoimmune diseases, causes cancer. This is not something to mess around with. So if you are listening and I'm not trying to scare everybody, I just want you to be making the right choice in making sure that if you have ruled out mold, you really, really have ruled it out. And those plates that you could get at the big box store, nope. So what happens is the hungrier molds, the faster growing molds will eat up all of the... So in most mold plates, like the big box store, that auger, so the nutrition that they put on the plate only feeds 10% of the toxic molds. So you're missing 90%. So that's already that. There are some innovative companies that have put together an auger that will feed the toxic molds. But the problem is if you have any other fast growing molds, which is most water damage building situations, usually if you have the bad guys, you also have the not so bad guys, but that are hungry <laughs> and they will eat up all of it and you won't be able to see black mold if it's there. So those mold plate tests, if it's a problem, if they come back bad, definitely you have a problem. But if they come back looking okay, you could still have a massive problem, but it could be trapped behind building material. The toxic mold, the most toxic ones are very water loving and gooey and sticky, and they don't aerate very well. They tend to stay glued to the surface. So an air sample, that's another thing that insurance companies will like to send in because those are designed to miss mold when it's there. So no one has to pay for it. So your landlord, your occupational, they're going to call in somebody who's a um, certified mold inspector. who's going to come into the middle of the room, plop something down, take an air sample, take it from high up, which mold falls to the ground. So it doesn't make any sense. And then the goal there is to not find it. So an air sample is not enough. And these are the like little tips if somebody is trying to think about how to get tested. I, it is so worth your money to hire an expert inspector. They are not all created equally. You're going to be talking to Brian Carr. He's one of the good guys. <laughs> yeah. And I work with, I have people that I work with. If anyone wants to contact me, get recommendations. The people that are doing it. And Michael, Michael will be on. Yeah. And Michael's a remediator. So you want to make sure your inspector is not your remediator. They're not the same thing. That's a conflict of interest. So you want to use an inspector that doesn't also do the remediation because the inspector is the person who's supposed to be the watchdog over the remediator. The remediator, at least the ones that we work with, they love passing the test of the inspector. Like they love to actually achieve it because they're in this, they're healers too. They're in, in home healing. Yeah. So I would say just use the experts. It's a big one. Do you have on your website, do you have a list of where people can go for information in across the United States? When I talked to Michael, 
So Michael, for those listening, Michael Rubino, who will is also going to be on the podcast, and Brian Carr, two different companies, but turns out they're related by marriage. They're like I, cousins I would, or something, yeah. They're like, they're like cousins by marriage, which is so cool. It just runs in the whole family. Yeah. So Michael owns All American Restoration, which is changing names to home. Oh, this is terrible. Home, I just talked to him. I don't even know this. How exciting. All um, I know, as of July 1st, they just cha- they rebranded to because they're more global. As, so All American Restoration. If you go to allamericanrestoration.com, you will still get rerouted You'll to find his it. new. You'll find him. <laughs> you will find Michael Rubino. So anyway, he was saying that like he and then of course Brian Carr have they've lists. They train and they help you find wherever you are to try to find yeah. an inspector and a, re- a remediator to do the job. Yeah, I definitely leave those lists to them because they know who's doing what in the industry. And I have a, how to find a good inspector. So a teach you to fish kind of thing. Love it. The questions you should be asking of a remediator, questions you should be asking of an inspector. But I got most of those questions from working with Brian Carr and Martine Davis and some of the people that I work with all the time. Yeah. Okay, perfect. On my website, I have doctors who are mold literate. Which is important too. And we will, so my next question, of course, is going to be about treatment. Now, and it's actually my sort of my final question in this whole mold 101 for a lot of folks is, and I know mold, uh, treatment is very personalized, but can you give us a, if it's possible, maybe like a general overview of, or treatment options or treatment things people will probably hear about, or their practitioner will tell them about, and then obviously we'll tell them how to find a practitioner. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. This can be broken down into five steps. I was doing it the wrong way. Oh, and that's how I learned because <laughs> I started with Lyme patients. And I realized it was, I'm like, oh, this is fungus. Okay, I'll put you on an antifungal because I was already treating them for Lyme. And in that particular case, I was using antibiotics just because of the severity of their condition. So I used an antifungal prescription and that person had a seizure. And that's when I said, okay, I think I might've done that. Like, I think I need to slow down and really understand what I'm doing. So that's why I have the fifth step of my five steps is fight the malt. So there's four things to do before you can start picking, poking the bear. (laughs) So the number one thing is avoidance. I learned from Dr. Kernian, the first, he says the first three steps of any toxin-based illness is number one, avoidance. Number two, avoidance. Number three, avoidance. (laughs) So you get the point. I can hear him say, I can see him saying that. Yeah, I know. I know. Avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. Yeah. I learned from him. Yes. So, and it makes so much sense because avoidance isn't just environment then there are things that you can do, you can avoid, which stop the message of mold is moving in. So by eating foods that are not fungus, eating foods that are free of mycotoxins, you're giving yourself that little bit of avoidance that is blocking the message now or giving your body a break from the message of mold's trying to move in, mold's trying to move in. And there might be avoidance of certain hobbies and habits. Like I had a brewmaster who had to take a break because he was working with yeast, which is not mold, but they're family. They're in the fungus family. And so every time he would go to brew, he would get all the ear ringing and the migraines and all the things. So he had to take a break from that for a little while. So avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. I love that Dr. Kernian was saying that because it's like, okay, environment, hobbies, habits, and diet is really key. And that might also be if you're kind of in a situation where you can't get out of mold right away, if you've discovered it is, even air filtration can help to knock down the particulate count, and that's what's carrying the mycotoxins and the fragments. Do you have a favorite filter that... Yes, I do. Yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) I have done homework on this one. I bet. Yeah. So I have a YouTube video. It's a little long. It's like 27 minutes on all of the questions you need to ask when you're thinking about a filter. 
how noisy is it? How hard is it to maintain? Like when it's running at its true filtration, it's going to do the the air circulation for your room or your space. A lot of them get really loud. And then does it off-gas any kind of chemical smell? Some of them off-gas chemical smell. And the biggest thing for mold is, can you keep the filter as a biostatic region? So what happens with a lot of the other ones, there's wonderful ones like Air Doctor is out there, IQ Air, they're all Austin Air. They're all good at getting their particulate count down at that small, small ultrafine particulate. But unfortunately, the more it loads up that filter, if you're in a biofilm environment and we've tested this, that filter can now become a Petri dish for mold. Intellipure is the only company that zaps the filter. So there, that filter is now a biostatic region, which will not become a Petri dish. And we've tested this in a biofilm water damage environment and it stayed clear. So that's the one that I use. It's zero particulate coming out of the machine and the filter doesn't become a mycotoxin factory. Intellipure. Yeah, Intellipure. Okay. Yep. And that's on my website, the video. I interview the developer of that so that just pick his brain and ask all the dumb questions so that you don't have to. <laughs> oh my gosh, so helpful. Okay, all right. Yeah, so of five steps, avoidance, fundamentals, protect, repair, and fight. So avoidance is you got to be away from mold. Fundamentals is basic treatment guidelines. All the things we do in naturopathic medicine, get your circadian rhythm, your sleep. Sleep might be kind of, we might have to go a little heavy handed to get you to sleep if you have mold related illness. So it's kind of the things that we would normally do. And for 50% of the people in occupational studies, getting out and doing the fundamentals, they're better. You don't have to go on. So be part of that coin flip. You know what I mean? (laughs) But if you do need to keep going, then protect means that you're protecting all of the tissues. Cause we know that when you start to poke the bear and fight mold, it gets mean, it fights back with more mycotoxins. So if we administer amphotericin B, which is an antifungal drug to aspergillus, it will kick up its production of mycotoxins in response to defend itself. That's, it's a bioweapon. So we have to get the tissues ready for that increase in burden that's going to happen. So that's the oil change stuff. So that's getting enough good fats in and moving the mucky fat out using things that bind bile and that help denature the mycotoxin so we can get it off the tissues and flooding out, which is bioflavonoids and then helping the liver and kidneys because they take the brunt of it. So that's kind of the protect area. So usually that means lots of good fats, lots of bioflavonoids and something like milk thistle or turmeric to help the liver and kidneys. And then we go to repair and some people we can stop at protect and they're done. So each time we graduate people, which is always great to hear when you're the person sitting there going, oh, I feel so terrible. But yes, people can graduate at the level of protect. Some need to go into repair, which is where we get into like green tea. Some of the things that you would kind of expect as a naturopathic doctor, but green tea has this particular bioflavonoid called polyphenols that helps to check and repair the gene changes that mold can create. Mycotoxins can change your immune system at the gene level to make you more susceptible to its infection. Isn't that wild? I mean, it's talking about scary intelligence. I was like, it's like an, <laughs> an evil character in a movie. It totally is. Yeah. And then we can get into with the repair, we're also talking glutathione, alpha lipoic acid. And then if its kidneys get forgotten a lot, melatonin is one of the most powerful kidney antioxidants and repair things that we can do. OQ10. Melatonin is actually my most favorite antioxidant. I always tell people, melatonin is billions of years old with a, bil- with a B. And so... And I always say she, because I do so much women's health and it's so, right? Oh, I love so, your interview <laughs> so with, um, 
on Dr. Kate's docuseries. Oh, right. Yeah. I love yes. the personalities <laughs> of the hormones. Those are great, great, great. Yeah. I wondered if you had one for melatonin. Melatonin. She's totally, I mean, she's an old queen, <laughs> billions of years old. Yeah. And I always joke, there's that car commercial, you know, we've, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Well, that's melatonin. That's and perfect. Right. She, when you're billions of years old and what's great about melatonin is melatonin has multiple ways to fight versus just one. It's not like Pac-Man or just like grabs the glob of badness. It like has multiple ways it can split apart and form what's called metabolites. And then those metabolites fight also. And the body can, the world can throw things at melatonin and melatonin is like, ha, I, I'm <laughs> so kind of, before, right? Like, yeah. I know I'm billions <laughs> of years old. You think you got me? You're wrong. Yes. I love that. I always joke that I think melatonin is the bigger, better antioxidant compared to glutathione. I'm always like, fight me. Yeah. But I understand <laughs> glutathione is super important too, but that's what I say about melatonin. That's why she's my favorite. Different, yeah. but different. And that's, so melatonin is specific for mold because it's also a fat soluble nutrient. So it's one of those that can go into the regions where mycotoxins are going. I also use it as a brain antioxidant. So especially that person is like brain fog, kidneys are a mess. And you can tell that by the person, they're really sunken in right here. Like they have that dark sunken in thing that's going on that I'm like, how are your kidneys? We better be doing something for those. And there are great studies on that. For those who are listening and not watching us, oh, what yeah. she was pointing to was the under eye, the dark under eyes. Thank you for reminding me that this is sunken also in. audio. <laughs> Just under your eyes, sunken eyes. Yeah, sunken eyes is sunken kidney cheat. So that's when I almost don't need to test anything. I'm just like, you just need melatonin. We're just gonna go there. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so that's the repair. And then we get to fight, which is antifungals that I use intranasally and whole body. So we're getting the gut and we're getting the intranasal. I didn't used to use intranasals in my first part until Dr. Brewer's study in like 2013, 14. We found that, he tested people with chronic fatigue syndrome that had water damage building exposure and were sick and healthy controls. And they tested sinuses, gut, lung tissue. I think they even tested brain. So what they found is that, guess what? Everybody has fungus in their sinuses. Healthy people, sick people. So it isn't the presence of them. But then when they did washings of those tissues, only the sick people were those tissues loaded with mycotoxins. Healthy people had no mycotoxins. So something happens, something trips the trigger when you're exposed to a water damaged building and the biofilm of that building that makes your own flora convert to a pathogenic biofilm. So that's why I say you become the moldy building. So when I read that study, I was like, oh my goodness, we got to treat the sinuses. And I started adding sinus antifungals and people got better so much faster. So now I treat everybody. If you have mold-related illness and you're, we're finding mycotoxins in any way, shape or form, you're getting some kind of sinus treatment so we can bump you out of this much faster. Oh my gosh, I love that. Are the most of them are prescription, right? Compounded or they're over the counter? No, not necessarily. So that's another big one. You can get better from mold without any pharmaceuticals. Here, here. Natural medicine <laughs> is works perfectly suited for mold-related illness. Yeah, because we're not adding the toxic burden. So no, I use things like propolis, things like ozone. You can use essential oils. There's lots of pre-made mixes with those humic and fulvic acid, nasal probiotics, all kinds of things that you can use to help reestablish. It just depends on what level of pathogenicity is going on in there. Xylitol, silver, garlic, thinking of all of them. <laughs> I know, it's like yeah. people frantically taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a handout. Again, that's 
people can contact me. It's nasal options for mold because there are so many pre-made ones. You can get them on Amazon. Like it just does not have to be complicated. I love that. That's one big message. Like the whole mold story, I feel like before when I wrote my book, all of a sudden I came out, you know, whatever into the mold world. (laughs) And I realized that the message was, this is hard. People don't get better. It's heavy. And it is serious. And it does rack your finances and it makes you have to change where you live sometimes and where you work. But getting better from it doesn't have to be hard. It can be long, but it can be in your hands. That is so powerful. And the last question I always ask is, this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast and we like to be practical and tactical, which you've done nothing but be practical and tactical this whole time is what would you want to leave people with? So is their final thing? And I'm going to use that because I think myself included as a practitioner, you know, when way back when you heard of mold, or maybe now if you've just learned you have mold or your your water damage building, it's portrayed is very hard. Yes. And it's portrayed as out of your hands. Out of your hands, right. And that's what I'm trying to really, I hope all of medicine will have a reboot on that, that there's, be your own guru, be your own practitioner. The word of advice I'd love to leave with everybody is trust yourself. Because if you are not feeling well and you're like, I think this building is not making me feel well. I think this is affecting my health. Believe that. You don't have to have everybody else validate that for you. You are your own inner authority. And it is so important to listen to that inner authority. Absolutely. Especially now that so many have went home in the pandemic, right? Work from home. So maybe they got sicker. Or now they're coming back. Their office is making them come back into the office and they haven't been there in two years. And now they're like, wait a minute. I feel pretty terrible at work. Is it my job or is it the location? Yeah. And that's what the pandemic did for a lot. I've heard from so many people that they were like, I thought I just hated my job. Turns out I didn't hate my job. It's not the stress of my job. I love my job when I can do it outside of a sick building. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay, Jill, where can everyone find you? All the places, <laughs> all the things. Yeah, all the things. DrKrista.com. That's D-R-C-R-I-S-T-A.com. And if you are, I love when people find a mold literate practitioner. So if you're looking for someone, I have a list of people who have graduated my certification class. It's 10 hours. They had to take tests. They had to prove that they know stuff. And then we put them on the website. And if you're global, there are practitioners in all kinds of other countries. So this isn't just a U.S. thing, U.S. and Canada or whatever. So you can go to the bottom of that mold literate doctor list and find your country. And then I have a membership if you're looking for more support. It's a way to work with me, not as your doctor, but to get some group support. We have an amazing, amazing supportive community. If you feel like you're crazy and you just no one's really supporting you through this journey, it's a great place to be. It's chock full of resources. We do Q and A's where you can pick my brain on anything. We have member shares where everybody shares what's working or what they tried and isn't working. So it's really beautiful and fun to see this group. Yeah. I love that. And your books, tell everyone about your books. Oh yes. I have a book, Break the Mold. (laughs) Yes. I have a lot going on. You are a business. Yeah. Just about to publish my second book on pandas and pans called A Light in the Dark for Pandas and Pans. And I also have some courses for people. If you're stuck in a mold situation, I have one called nine things to know if you're still in mold. So that if you are in that situation where you can't quite get out of the lease or you are changing jobs, so it's going to be a couple of months, the nine things you can do so that when you get out, you're in much better shape than if you hadn't done anything. You are so many resources. I 
that for are for everybody. I just love that. But I and I do want to touch on. I know this is not the point of this podcast, but can you explain what pans and pandas are so that sure. if somebody is listening to that and was like, well, that sounds cute, pandas. Yeah. But it might apply to them and they should probably know. Yes, because mold is the number two environmental toxin to cause pandas and pans. So pandas is, they're both conditions that are autoimmune conditions where the it's pediatric. So these are kids and teens where their immune system has decided that a part of their brain is an infection. And so it starts to fight the part of their brain. And that can lead to a host of different symptoms, anxiety, tics, OCD, attachment issues, eating, disordered eating, insomnia. So all of these different symptoms that you can see, they're named differently because one of them, pandas, is associated with a strep infection as the triggering infection. Whereas PANS is the next gen version of PANDAS where we've opened up the criteria to say it doesn't have to be a strep issue. But even for PANS cases, if strep didn't start it, strep can flare it. So strep is still a big part of that condition as well. So it's pediatric autoimmune neuropsych disorder associated with strep is PANDAS and pediatric autoimmune neuropsych syndrome. (laughs) I wrote the book on it. And that's PANS. Yeah. And when is the book out? It's going to be late summer, early fall. Yeah. Ebook and print book are coming out at different times. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being and then on. And I'll have, if you're a parent listening, I have a Mold and Kids course coming out in a month. That's fantastic. Because you do have to do kind of different stuff for kids than you would do in an adult. Yeah. Which is a majority. That's actually really, I'm glad you brought that up because... Obviously, our listeners are adults. I'm always in the adult world, not seen ever, having seen pediatrics. It's so not my wheelhouse. So I forget that molding kids could be different. Yeah, yeah. They're not just little adults, turns out. They are, turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on today. You are a wealth of information and I so appreciate it. Plus, I just adore you as a person. So this has been great. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And like I said, fangirl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone go check her out because I know everyone is frantically writing down drkrista.com to go see all the resources and they probably recognize a lot of the symptoms and some of the, maybe the keynotes or some clinical pearls you said in themselves. So again, I just really appreciate you being on and spreading your wealth of information to everybody for the last hour. Thank you. my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.